Our scripture passage this morning comes from Jonah chapter 4, as we finish up a sermon series on the book of Jonah. One of our um, Bible studies recently had a session where they talked about ways that we don't like God, which is a rough subject if you're a Christian, because we, we like God, that's why we're here. Uh, but the author of this particular study is convinced there's ways that we don't like him, and uh, this chapter is about a prophet, namely Jonah, who didn't like what God was doing. And uh, I think Jonah is probably the one who wrote this. Uh, so this, this may be Jonah telling a story on himself uh, about the ways that he didn't like what God's doing in the world. Uh, this is one of my favorite chapters, so I'm going to try and read it with not too much passion. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Let me back up a sentence. Let me give you the last sentence of the previous chapter. When God saw what they did, how they returned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my own country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is the word of the Lord. Well, if you've been with us uh, during this uh, season uh, where we've been going through the book of Jonah, um, it has been a a book where we are given a lot of uh, insight into his character, into his heart. Uh, we, we can sort of get what's going on in the passage, and we're following along with it, and we, it comes with some goofy, sort of a goofy ending, doesn't it? A little, a little of a strange ending, this book. And uh, are we good? Want me to try this? Oh, very good. All right. Very good. Thank you, sound booth people. It comes with a very unusual ending, and um, 
it needs a lot of explaining, you know. And th- this made me think of when I had a chance to read to our girls growing up. Uh, it's eight o'clock at night. It's time to go to bed. Parents, you may identify with this, and you yourself are feeling tired. And now laying in bed with the kids is dangerous. Because you start, you can't start war and peace. Let's just put it that way, if you're going to read to them. And so you want something very short and to the point. I always like. I didn't like books that had a lot of explaining to do. I liked it like, wow, that was really easy. Um, the boy ate the apple. Amen. Yes. Something like that. So one of my favorite go-to books was the Berenstain Bears. Berenstain Bears, right? Just wonderful. Uh, easy conclusions, uh, understandable, you could go with the flow. The problem wasn't usually too bad, something like being overscheduled, right? And overscheduled. And so Papa Bear comes up with some convoluted idea, and then uh, they try this idea and it doesn't work, and then Mama Bear usually is the one who comes along with common sense, and then the whole, by page 12, the whole thing is over. And I love those books that just come to a nice, clean conclusion. And uh, Down a Sunny Dirt Road was where I went for the books. The book of Jonah would be an unusual book to read to a child because, you know, so the plant dies, and then he does what? And he, he gets all angry at God? Why would that be? And so it's this unusual book, and it doesn't make any sense. And so I think that's, what go, that's, that's what's going on. At least the unusual book and the conclusion doesn't make any sense, at least from Jonah's perspective. We can see what God's saying. And so I would just, like, by way of an outline, and then I'm going to open in prayer here and get us, get us uh, asking God to direct us. But there's anger that doesn't make any sense in the first couple of verses of chapter 4. There's withdrawal that doesn't make any sense. You can see that in verse 3. And then in verses 4 through 11, we're going to look at the idea that his, his heartlessness doesn't make any sense. So in the time that we have this morning, let's, let's ask our God to be with us. Will you, will you pray with me? Let's pray. Lord, it's a season for us to enter into a real evaluation of our lives. Is there anything in me that is hindering your progress in me? Is there anything in me that is, is not of faith, is not looking to you? Father, there's a lot of things in us. I thank you for this time that we can talk about this chapter and you can, you can reason with us about what you do for, for people like us. Father, I'd like to say I'm, I'm really different than Jonah, but y- you've got me. Uh, I'm in this book, and I pray you'd help me to see what you've done for sinners like me and, and for all of us who listen. We pray that in this time you would engage us with power. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So here we are. Uh, it is Palm Sunday. It is my task to try and connect this with Palm Sunday. Some of you are like very concerned. I can see it on your faces. But I'll, I will try to connect this with what's going on with Palm Sunday. Uh, and I think, first of all, we have Jonah, who's actually praying to God. When he sees that God has relented, he actually boldly prays to God and says, Lord, I knew you were compassionate and merciful. I knew this would happen. I knew it. And he actually prays to God. 
And he is angry in verse 1, angry that it happened. Anger. How are you doing with anger these days? Anger. In the church, sometimes we, you may hear this in a Bible study that someone says, well, you know, we can have righteous anger. You know that, right? And the Bible actually does affirm we can have righteous anger. But I'm with Dallas Willard, a teacher, author. He's the one who said he couldn't think of anything that Jesus requires us to requires us to do that requires anger as well. Think about that. You see, the anger here in chapter 4 is unusual and it's strange, but also if we've been tracking with Jonah, we, we know he's under the surface been, been thinking like this. He's, he's not sure this is a good idea that God would let the Ninevites off the hook. Anger is, uh, I, th- I think in this passage, is, God highlights it in, in this chapter. He highlights that he is angry. But I think we could also acknowledge that anger is a source, of, is rooted in pride. And when Jonah turns inward on himself, uh, self-pity, self-pity is also another form of, of pride. Uh, I have self-pity. I'm a very prideful person. And when my world doesn't conform to the way I want it to go, I have, I have a small or large pity party, and I, I, turn, I turn sort of inward on myself. And so it's unusual, but he, he actually prays to God and sort of says, I told you so in this prayer. And it's the beginning, it sets up this whole journey into self-pitying that Jonah is now going to to go on. And then notice also the withdrawal that takes place in verse 3 where he says, it's better that I would die. And so now we really get our, the, really gets our attention. He's really willing to, and this is, is this like hyperbole? Is this overstatement? But then it's repeated actually again in verse 8. He actually begs with all his soul to die. So it's like it's amped up. It's like, whoa, it's, this, is really, this is really something he wants. And so this withdrawal is a pattern of behavior. It's sort of the way Jonah works. I don't know if you're like that, if you find yourself in the story. When, when, uh, when things don't go well, you, you sort of detach and you withdraw and you take your ball and go home. And, and the world is sort of not worthy of you. And the, there's sort of a couple of stages to this that... He's sitting outside the city, and he's actually waiting to see, is this repentance real? Is this, is this really going to happen? He's just sitting there, and he's watching the city. Just imagine that. He's, he's preached to the city. He has no heart for it. And then he just withdraws into himself. He's a deeply skeptical person. And, and we might describe our situation and Jonah's situation as must-haves. Is there a must-have in your life? A must-have. Uh, you must have control. Uh, you must have your plan go the way you want it to. Uh, you must have uh, an acknowledgement at work. You must have that promotion. You must... We probably don't, may not think quite that clearly, but that's sort of the expectation there. The must-haves have energy. The must-haves in Jonah's life go inward. 
meaning that they have energy, and now he's withdrawing, and he is now no longer engaged. He's had enough of the world. And I mentioned when we first got started, I think Jonah is world-weary. The world is messed up. The only thing that might make sense is his little world in Israel or Judah or Jerusalem. That might make a little sense for Jonah, but everything else is just darkness and gloom. And the only thing that would make sense is Judgment Day. And one of the other things that may be fueling his anger here is, what am I going to say if I go back to Jerusalem as a prophet and my words didn't work? Meaning, he was going to go with a a, a complete sentence of destruction for Nineveh. And what will he say when people say, it looks like you failed, Jonah? So he's asking God to die. And then God, of course, reasons twice, do you do well? Uh, Kind of a Dr. Phil type of thing. Is Is this working for you, Jonah? Jonah, do you see how this is affecting your whole being? Let me, let me just translate it for you. Your whole, the whole of your life, you're even now despairing of life. See? It's interesting that we are told in the book of Proverbs to guard our hearts, for from it, from, from our hearts uh, flow the springs of life. Interesting. One of the tasks in the Christian life is to, to guard your heart. Guarding the heart. Jesus uh, The night that he was betrayed, he told his disciples, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. So this watchfulness, watching of the heart. Jonah really believes that any any impulse of his heart is legitimate. It will meet his needs. You see, he really lacks a lot of maturity. But withdrawal, God is saying to him, this doesn't make Sense. And then thirdly, notice verses 4 and following. Uh, there's a heartlessness that doesn't make sense. And uh, so this unusual scenario is that Jonah is outside the, the city and um, he is exposed to the, the bright uh, sunlight and, uh, and getting baked out there. And then God causes this little plant to grow up and it, it perfectly grows and shades him. And uh, then uh, as Jonah delights in it, God sends a worm and kills the plant. And now we're watching Jonah's, Jonah's heart come to the surface. And the scorching wind comes and, uh, and, and the heat now exposes Jonah. And he again cries out, I wish I was dead. So just a, just a little discomfort can throw Jonah completely off. And then God begins reasoning with Jonah again, reasoning with this prophet. And he says, hey, wait a minute. You had had compassion on a non-human being. Your whole heart was given to this thing. And and you don't have a heart for living human beings. It's interesting, isn't it? Think about your own hobbies. Anybody here? You know, anybody here uh, uh, into orchids or or your perfect lawn or anything around your house that you find yourself, your heart getting into it. And I find myself if I if I start a little project, I I get into it with my whole heart. I'll, I'll do research on it. What's the best fertilizer here? And I get into this whole approach to it, and it begins to own my heart. And uh, 
Uh, we, we're recently, we're very excited in our house because we have an avocado tree growing in our yard, kind of a volunteer. It's been there about five years. I, about six months ago, chainsaw, let's go. It hasn't produced any fruit. I'm impatient. What's going on? I don't like this tree. None of these avocados in our neighborhood produce any fruit. I'm very frustrated with them. And then I looked just the other day, looked very closely at some buds, and there's about a hundred little, little tiny half inch, quarter inch avocados on this tree. And I love this tree. (laughs) This is the coolest tree ever. And then I began to have compassion for it. And I thought about, well, it might need minerals. So I went down to the, to the store, and the man said, no, nah, it's already blooming. It's already got fruit. Just back off. Wait till another time. Oh, I want to care for my beautiful avocado tree. I have to just patiently wait for the fruit, and I can't do anything more for it, as if I've done anything for it up to this point. So God reasons with Jonah. He says, Jonah, this is about people. Jonah, do you? Do you get this? This is about people. And uh, Jonah has no meaningful relationship to the word love. Just think about that. The word love is not, not, not on the windshield of his life. And God then reasons with him and he says, should I not have compassion for these 120,000 who don't know their right hand from their left, God's referring to children. And it's interesting is that in, in Jonah's immaturity, he cannot weigh something that is uh, something that's more weighty than something else. He can't weigh, we can't weigh children versus plants. It's interesting, isn't it? And it's interesting you can tell yourself your own inability to weigh these kinds of things because remember that new car you had? Remember that one? I know, the one, it's the one that's rusting now. Remember when it was a new car? Do you remember that first scratch and how you responded to it? Do you remember? We have some testimonies now, anybody? Do you remember that? You see, that was your plan. It was just a Ford or whatever you, it was. It was a Honda, whatever it was. You see, your response to that scratch... See, you can love an inanimate object at a level where it was never meant to be loved. The the big distortion of the human heart is that some aspect of creation, this is idolatry 101, some aspect of creation, some aspect of it, has now, man was meant to rule over, here's the creation, here's, here's the creation, man was meant to rule over it, and what happened in the fall? The creation now rules over us. Just watch me with my avocado tree. Just watch me. Watch my disordered loves. They'll begin to rule my heart. Anger will come out toward people regarding something that's just a, just a, a tree. You can always tell the idols of a culture by what it does to its children. Peace, personal peace, affluence. Who's in my way? Don't stop me. Jonah can't weigh the most important things. He has an inability to weigh the value of a human life next to something else 
that will just die tomorrow and be not, not made in the image of God. So, the final week of Christ's life, he encounters human courts that cannot weigh the value of an innocent person. The Roman and Jewish courts reason that peace for Jerusalem is best found or discovered or kept through an innocent person being murdered. Hmm. It was sort of a lifestyle decision. That's what happens when we cannot weigh the most important things. Now, what's wonderful about Scripture is that God now guides us to understanding how to grow in maturity and how to begin to weigh what is most important versus what is, has, doesn't have the equal, as equal of a value of importance. You can now weigh. This is what spiritual maturity looks like. The priority. The priorities that you should pursue and begin to, uh, begin to love. All right, so spiritual maturity is an ability to weigh what is important. People always come in the forefront before things. I heard the story of a pastor, a brand new sanctuary, uh, the first uh, gathering of the congregation, and the pastor got a cup of coffee. And he walked up to the front of the congregation, and he poured it out on the carpet. He said, hey, I just want to make sure we know that the first stain was by the pastor. So let's not make an idol out of our building. Now, let's worship our God. Ah. Kind of a bit, it feels freeing, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. You've got to weigh what's important. People always come before things. Are we perfecting ourselves? Are we engaged in a personal project with our life and are we just continuing to perfect our life, our schedule, our to-do list, our things, we put ourselves as a project of perfection and we are missing people. Uh, Do we look around? Do we notice? Do we pause? Do we think? Do we listen? Do we pray? Do we engage? Do we speak? This is what the final week of Christ was like. We learn that God's love is an engaging love. It is a love that puts people at the top of the priority list. But ultimately we know that all of creation will be redeemed. Christ's atonement has cosmic implications, including all that God has made and all that has fallen under the curse. You pity the plant. You're invested in it. You have a capacity for compassion, Jonah, but it is a disordered compassion, disordered capacity. So um, the plot twist in Jonah is we're all sort of drawn into, yeah, Nineveh, wow, what a, what a, what a, what a, terrible, what a terrible people. And the twist is, Jonah, what, you've, got, you've got struggles. It, the, the pointing of the finger, something goes to Jonah in his heart, not to the Ninevites. And to his preoccupations. Jonah was, in the last image of Jonah is he's just preoccupied. 
just preoccupied. That's it. Preoccupied with his own comforts. For us, there's this sort of this dagger that comes at us and says, wow, what am I preoccupied with? And to walk with Jesus, to follow him in obedience, looks like a different kind of preoccupation. It's a kingdom preoccupation. Do you find yourself just preoccupied with the with a small vision of life. A small vision of life leads to becoming easily despondent when things don't go perfectly because you can manage a small little slice of the world, or so you think. So, when we leave Jonah here, what, what, what are we left with? Well, we leave Jonah with a strong drive for personal peace that never really gets realized. The drive for peace in my life and in your life may not feel all that powerful, but it is very, very powerful. Jerusalem, on the week that Christ entered it and the final week of his life, Jerusalem was pursuing peace on its own terms. Who Jesus was didn't matter. What he had proven himself to be didn't matter. Peace, as the religious authorities imagined it, as the Roman authorities imagined it, as the people imagined it, peace was going to be achieved. And Jesus was in the way. He was falsely accused of being a troublemaker and a lawbreaker. It didn't matter. So for us then, as Christians, we have to ask ourselves, what does bring peace in my life? And if it is directed toward my temporary comforts, Jonah 4, then I will kill to achieve those personal comforts. We have the last week of Christ's life to demonstrate this for us. Willing to kill in order to get things back in order. Do you feel that in you? Do you sense that? Oh, it's, it's not a, a weapon, but it's the words, the way you treat someone with your words. It's, it's a very mild form of killing, and I recognize that might sound really over the top, but the Bible doesn't back off on this. We can intend to kill with our very words. We hear the story of Jonah, and we wonder why he doesn't get it. He has temporary loves that have overpowered him. Colossians 3.5, they're called epithumis. They're overruling desires. He will not rejoice with fellow image bearers who are now tasting God's mercy. And so he is blind to God's mercy And the city of Jerusalem would be blind to the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. They would be so blind and so pursuing their desire for peace on their own terms, they would kill Christ. And it would only be through Peter's preaching in the book of Acts chapter 2 when he preached to them and explained to them that Christ had poured out his Holy Spirit upon believers that those who were listening became intrigued with the idea of salvation 
because they realized as Peter preached to them, he said that you crucified the Son of God. And they cried out to him with their eyes open now to how peace on their own terms had gripped them. Their eyes open, they cry out, what must we do to be saved? And God, the story continues, is merciful to even those who crucified his son. And he says through Peter, repent and believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So God continues to be gracious throughout the story. And he is gracious to the very city that crucified his son. You see, we can see Jonah's heart here. But the the question is, can we see our own hearts? And if we can, that is an extraordinary gift of God's grace. You see, I'm that guy who would love to read the Berenstain Bear books. I want to go down a sunny dirt road in bear country. Because if I go down that road, do you know what's down that road? There's nothing really that serious down that road. And nothing that common sense can't cure or fix, right? That's why I like that road. It's fun. It's warm. It never really points me out as a lawbreaker or one who needs a cross. It's just a fun little world with simple conclusions and simple solutions. And you know, I have to say, I resist the conclusion of the Bible. I'd like the Bible to be, to start off like this, well, down a sunny dirt road. Because I don't want the Bible to conclude the way it does about what human beings are like. I don't want to enter into this week. Do you? You see... For a good story, there has to be resolution. There has to be a fix. And the fix goes down a road, and it leads to a cross. I don't want to see that. I don't like that conclusion about what it takes to save humanity. I don't want to look there But you know, when we read our Bibles, we have to look there. Because looking there, we're going to see the mercy of God. And God wants us to see the length to which he's willing to go to rescue us. And to bring real resolution to the human problem. My little plans for peace are not big enough. And God wants me to see this big plan of how big his heart is and how big his mercy is. So I'll follow him in obedience to his mercy. No one will begin to follow God in mercy toward others until they see Christ crucified and themselves behind a false plan for peace. See, in the end, in the Bible... The only one who really obeys, the only one who ever does what God says, is God. And he comes in human form 
and he does it. He's the one who cares about people who don't know their right hand from their left. They're in a, an ignorance. They're infants. And his grand plan comes to rescue them. May we cry daily, Lord, take away my temporary loves that overpower me where I can't see your mercy. May, we, may I see this, Lord, day after day. Let's pray. Lord, if you can have compassion like this story of Jonah for the city of Nineveh and for the city of Jerusalem, you can have compassion for our city of Kailua or Kaneohe or wherever we live. Lord, you've shown yourself to be magnificent and merciful and kind. Lord, help us to truly be followers after your mercy. We won't do it perfectly, but Lord, help us to see your mercy and extend that mercy to others. May we become that kind of church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.